tangent to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. Episode 22 of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Bradley, and with me as always is my co-host and friend, Sean Engel. Hello everyone, how's it going, Michael? Pretty good. Uh, So this episode, we're going to be continuing our look at the Superman's Reign miniseries, which started in 2008, which took the Tangent Universe characters we know and love and threw them together with the DC Universe characters that we probably know and love a little more. Because, let's face it, the DC characters have been around a little longer than the Tangent ones. Yeah. But that doesn't stop us from talking about them, or from getting what is, what I think, a really good story. Oh, definitely. It, like we said the last couple of issues, the story, even though we know it's going to be a 12-issue story, and this is in the age of the uh, writing-for-the-trade era this still doesn't feel like a decompressed story. Right. We still get a lot of stuff going on in here. Plus, we get the backup story, which if you are a person who's unfamiliar or needs a refresher course, since when you would have been reading this, it would have been 10 years since the Tangent Universe came out. It, it, gives, you, it gives you an idea of what is going on with these characters, and it, it all works together in a really compelling and interesting way. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been pretty satisfied i guess the issue we're going to talk about in this episode a little bit less but i've been pretty satisfied that we are getting what feels like a satisfying chunk of the story in each issue Mm -hmm. yeah there's there's things progressing there's there's parts of it moving on there's character developments we're finding out more about what happened in the tangent universe bit by bit and it's not like i said it's not that sort of decompressed storytelling where you don't think anything is going on. So right. it's it's all really enjoyable so far. Right. But we'll get into that in a little bit because first we have an email to read on the show. Yes. I didn't plan that sentence out very well, did I? That's fine. Okay. <laughs> uh, but this comes from Gene Hendricks, frequent writer to the show, and its title or subject is Tangent, the In-Between Years in reference to episode, we're going to say 19? Yeah, yes. I think it was 19. Yeah, 19 because there were... 18 of the original issues. Anyway, Gene writes, Michael and Sean, I was pretty much out of comics th- at this time, so this is all new to me. Oh, I knew about the Bleed and the Monitor Corps, but those were a couple reasons that I dropped reading comics. I just didn't like where they were going. 
As for the tangent characters, at least in the Ion books, you guys were right in that it sounds like it could have been an extra, any extra-dimensional characters, not necessarily tangent. It was almost like DC was reasserting their copyright before using these characters for a real reason. In the Justice League book, though, it sounds like they were handled better. Not necessarily drawn better, but handled better. Of course, I wasn't a huge fan of the art of that run of, on that run of Justice League to begin with, but that's just me, Gene. Yeah, um, he, he's he's got a point. The characters that appear in the Iron Book, and specifically since you mentioned that their dialogue was pretty much drawn from the previous books, mm-hmm. you know, it could have been essentially any character that they slipped in there. It was nice if this were sort of a precursor to what we're reading now in Superman's Reign that they decided to put them in. But yeah, it does feel that it could have been any generic alternate universe DC character. Yeah. And it is good, though, that, that Jurgens is playing off what happened there, or at least referencing back to it, mm-hmm. to, to feed in, and Dwayne McDuffie did too, to feed into the, the series here that we're looking at. Oh, yes. Uh, and, yeah, the, the artwork in the JLA book was – it was good and bad and <laughs> at, at the same time. I mean, there were some parts of it that were – really spectacular and there were parts of it that were where he drew female characters yes exactly <laughs> yeah um yeah the female characters were off to say the least yeah but that's uh, that's all we have on email uh if you guys like to write in the email address to the show is tangent at greatcrypton.com. we'd love to read your emails on the air and plus you can check out the uh, great krypton website and leave comments when we post mm-hmm. the shows and plus, iTunes reviews would be great yes. to get some more iTunes reviews. So please, if you if you are enjoying the show, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. We'd, we'd love to read that on the air as well. But uh, do we knock it, knock it on the head for emails and get into the uh, coverage of the book? Yes. Okay. I've got the synopsis this time out. It is Tangent Superman's Reign, number three. This one was cover dated July 2008 and released on May 21st of 2008 with a cover price of $2.99 in the U.S. The title was Superman's Reign Chapter 3. The writer was Dan Jurgens. Penciler was Jamal Eigel. The inker was Robin Riggs. The letter was Steve Wands. And I want to apologize. Last time, I think in both episodes or both issues – or the issue and the backup issue, I pronounced it Steve Wanos because I can't read. Uh, the the colorist was Dom Reagan. The editor was Nache Castro. The cover art was by Carlos Pacheco and Jesus Marino. And the Tangent Universe was created by Dan Jurgens. Sprinting across a rooftop, the Earth One Dark Knight, Batman, radios his JLA teammates, Black Canary and Black Lightning, to get into position and be ready for anything. Signaling them to make their moves, the trio break into the complex, only to find out that no one is there. This is very suspicious, since the complex they are breaking into was the Justice League headquarters, and it should never be absent of all League members. Batman says that all the JLA members are present and accounted for, save for the Wally West Flash and Jon Stewart and Green Lantern, who have been taken somewhere by the strange lantern the League had been keeping. Canary asks if they could track them, but Batman thinks it would be difficult, since they are probably not even on this Earth. And speaking of not being on this Earth, we cut to Earth-9, where the tangent Flash Leah Nelson is trying to convince Earth-1 Flash not to go running off to try and scope out his surroundings. Wally asks what the problem would be, and Leah and the Tangent Lantern convince him that Superman has his methods of finding them, and that they're safe in the cemetery shrouded by the Tangent Lantern. 
acquiescing while he wonders if they can order out for pizza. But phone calls to Papa John's are put on hold as the Tangent Green Lantern senses a disturbance in the force. Over near the New Atlantis Detention Center, Manhunter and Pooch are trying to incapacitate the Firestorm Troopers while the Spectre holds his own against Obsidian and Jade while trying to free the Atom. Spectre manages to evade Obsidian by phasing through levels of the prison, but the two members of Meridian are still hot on his trail. Back with the Flashes, Lanterns, and Choker, the group discusses how the Tangent Superman was holding the Abdom captive and how he might be the only person who could bring an end to the Superman's despotic reign. Wanting to help, Leah zaps off to to help her Secret Six teammates, and Wally speeds off after her to give her a hand. Elsewhere, at the Citizen Education Center, Lori Lamaris is being taken briskly out of class and into an assumed unisex bathroom by the mysterious man she saw last issue. Telling her that his name is Hex, that the Joker is needed once again, and presumably off-camera that this isn't some sort of creepy prelude to a sexual assault, Hex shows Lori an image of Jon Stewart and the Joker in hopes that she'd know who he is. Sorry. Lori says that she doesn't, but Hex feels that this strange man might be a new ally in their struggle. Back at the detention center, Obsidian has finally managed to capture the Spectre, but before they can take him out permanently, Leah Nelson and Wally West zoom in, blast the baddies, and save the Spectre. At the same time, Jon Stewart and the Joker are infiltrating the wing where the Atom is being held. Joker says that they need to free the Atom, but Jon is reluctant to do something that might start a war. Joker angrily retorts that they've been fighting a war for ten years, and the Atom might be their only hope of winning. Resolved, John blasts the Atom free, and the trio get ready to make their escape, which could have easily been done except for the arrival of the Tangent Superman. The Tangent Man of Tomorrow once again returns the Joker to her previously dead state and traps John in a TK force field. Fortunately, the Spectre phased through the walls and was able to bring the Atom to Manhunter in the Flashes. Wally says that they need to go back for John, but while the heroes debate the action, Superman makes his way to their location and the heroes are forced to be teleported away via use of the Tangent Lantern's magic. Annoyed by the loss of the Atom, Superman directs his attention to John and the energy coming from his ring. Meanwhile, back on Earth-1, Hal Jordan is scanning for any trace of his missing colleague. Hal says that John isn't on Earth, nor in any spectrum. Hal says that John isn't on Earth, nor in any sector of space. Batman again surmises that he must be on another Earth, but the team can't even begin to imagine which one or how they'll get there. Of course, Captain Spug, I mean, Hal, thinks that he might just have a plan of his own. And he, d- he does go. look a little smug in that, a, a lot smug in that last. Yeah, in that last image, he's just, he's just, I know, I know how to do this because I'm Hal Jordan, baby. <laughs> Yo, uh, uh, what do you think about this one? I thought it was another strong issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I don't, I don't think, like I said earlier, I don't think it advanced the story quite as much as the others, but there's still a lot happening, and I'm really happy that this story isn't feeling as decompressed as I remembered it. Yeah, I, like I said, I don't have any complaints either. Uh, well, I have minor complaints and nitpicks, but uh, I, I've really enjoyed it. It's nice to see some more uh, heroes from the DC universe show up. Uh, obviously, Batman's in the book, and obviously, Batman makes everything awesome. At least that's what DC will tell you. Um, J- Jamal Eichel's artwork, I'm still loving it. I think he does a great job with not only the character designs, but s- specifically with the facial expressions. Yeah. Uh, 
I, I would put him up there with Kevin McGuire. And I think we talked about that last time of doing good facial expressions and representing how a person is feeling just by the look or, or a certain look on their face. Um, it's, it's also nice to know that the tangent Superman might be a little, you know, when we read the tangent Superman in his original book in, in the second run, he seemed to be the most power, one of the most powerful beings on the planet, but there still seems to be thing with like the tangent lantern and various things that might be able to take him down. So if the tangent Superman is truly the big bad for this issue, he, he might not be so bad that the forces of good won't be able to dissuade him or take him out. So I like that story. Mm-hmm. But uh, you, you talked about that there was a lot going on, and I think part of that is because one thing I really like is that they're they're building the story in the tangent universe. You know, we're getting more background. They're introducing more characters. There's a couple different story threads going on with the, the Secret Six kind of acting as a, a, a sort of resistance and then there's Hex doing his own thing and recruiting Laura Lamaris back to the Joker and I, I said it wasn't decompressed but maybe the reason this didn't feel um, like we got as much as the others is because it's more of a a slow burn I guess you might say in, in that they're throwing these two universes together rather slowly you know John and Wally are in the tangent universe but it's taking a while to get the other DCU characters involved which you know, it, I, I want to see him, but but it does let the tension build that we haven't gotten the other Justice Leaguers into the Tangent Universe yet. Yeah, it, it, it'd be different, and I think that they know that it's a twelve-part series. Mm-hmm. They they kind of feel that they need to spread it out. I'm certain they could have written it where by this time they could have had the majority of the Justice League working in the uh, Tangent Universe. But I think it, I think you hit, it, hit the nail on the head. It allows it to sort of it allows it to sort of stretch out and build the tension and the fact that they're, like I said, kind of stretching it out over this course of time during the books allows it to build up the, build up the intensity of the uh, storyline. So, yeah, indeed. Well, I, I don't have anything else. So do you want to take a little break here and we will come back uh, after the break and talk about specific of the book? I think so. Okay. Sounds good. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because, as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you're making me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. In every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the Quarterbin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarterbin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast on iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. I'm breaking in 
And you want to start with the cover? Yep, let's go ahead and do that. Um, I like the cover. It's really good. Batman, the Earth-1 Batman looks good, but there is no trace of the Tangent Universe Batman in this book. In fact, yeah. we haven't heard anything about the Tangent Universe Batman at all so far in this story. So it's just kind of a way to show the two. You know, it's it's kind of a deceptive cover that you're not going to get the Tangent Universe Batman in here. But, you know, he looks good. I think uh, 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 Carlos and Jesus do a good job drawing the characters on there. I've never been too keen about the new look of Batman's cape. I think they're trying to ape the sort of Batman Begins, Dark Knight cape that sort of can turn into a glider type thing. Yeah. And and also it looks like Batman just suddenly threw up his cape and then crossed his arms. It's just – and he's, he's, he's given directions to the gun uh, show too. I'm, I'm picturing him standing in Wayne Manor for hour or in the Batcave for hours on end practicing that move. <laughs> Throw the cape, cross the arms. Yeah. Throw the cape, cross the arms. I really love these two characters together they look really great together and I like seeing them side by side Um, there's three little niggling points that bug me about the cover one of them is uh, like you said the tangent Batman doesn't appear in the in the issue and we haven't even heard of him Uh, two the logo kind of covers him up too much I think yeah you don't really get a good you don't really get a look at him. In fact, you can't really see, unless you knew he was the tangent Batman, you don't even really get to see his symbol. Right. So it's it's hard to determine who is this guy, some sort of red armored knight. So, yeah, unless you know it's specifically a tangent Batman, you don't know who this is. And then the third thing is there's no background. So they're silhouetted in white, and both of these characters really look better in dark colors. So... Yeah, and they don't even have like uh, I'm looking at the next book. They have the traditional sort of trade dress, have the the colors with the mm-hmm. striped lines going across it. They don't have anything like that. If they would have had something like that, like a maybe a darker, maybe a darker blue, or even if they wanted to go all that way black and then make Batman's cape a little more blue, you know, it would have. I think it would have popped a little more. But maybe it's maybe it's just the contrast having the white background against the black of uh, Batman's cape that you know they were kind of going for. But yeah, I maybe. can see what you're talking about. But other than that, I mean, I really do like seeing the characters together. So. Mm-hmm. Um, moving into the book, page one again. This is my same criticism that I had earlier about uh, Batman's scalloped cape. The, you know, I like I like when Batman's running. He has the sort of billowing, flowing cape. This thing looks like it's like I said. It looks like the Nolan, you know, Batwing glider thing mm-hmm. that he had, and it's just in the stag design. Batman himself looks fine. He looks a little beefy. I usually like my Batman to be more lithe and gymnastic. But, you know, it's fine. Was Dark Knight out at this time? It hadn't come out yet because it came I, out in the summer, right? Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think actually it'll be coming out soon because they have an advertisement, I think, in the next book oh, okay. for the Dark Knight. Uh, it's it's one of the milk ads where oh, it's – yeah, right. where it's, I remember but, that. It's on the back cover, I think. But I know that they had uh, Batman be- – yeah, the Batman Begins had already come out and they'd used that cape in that. So right. it wouldn't be surprising that they – sort of modeled it after this. Yeah. I really like the opening scene with Batman and Black Canary and Black Lightning converging and crashing into the building. And I, I think it would have had more impact if, we, if we'd known it was the Hall of Justice before they stormed it. But mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah, it's well, good action and it was staged well. So I agree, it is good action, but I also kind of wonder, you know, why didn't Batman just like call? You know, it's like, hey, is anyone there? No, no <laughs> one's there. And and he's going to have to, you know, I'm certain Batman or Bruce Wayne is funding all this. So he's just going to have to, you know, pay for all these doors and everything they've broken down. I mean, that's probably. He's got that Wayne Foundation money. so Well, I'm certain. Uh, yeah, I'm certain. But, you know, you could have knocked. You think, the, that's the, just- you think the super villain who's taken over the Hall of Justice is going to open the door? Well, sure. Yeah, maybe if it were, <laughs> if it were like Crazy Quilt, I'd probably imagine he'd probably do that. But, but he is crazy. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, page two or page three, sorry. Is it weird that I got a lot of joy out of that one simple panel of Superman rescuing kids from a burning building? No, no, it's not. It's and it's also because if you look at it, Superman's got a smile on his face. Yeah. He's and it's again uh, credit to Jamal Eigel. He knows how to draw these characters and draw yeah. them well. And uh, even though Superman is doing something dramatic and heroic. And that's potentially would be potentially dangerous to anyone else who's doing it. He's doing it with a smile on his face, and he's it, that's got to be so reassuring to these mm-hmm. two kids that he's helping, who themselves look very scared. I give mm-hmm. credit to Jamal Eigel. Yeah, and it's the thing is it's on a it's on a video screen, and it's not really the the full image on the thing. But yeah, Eigel just does a great job here, and it's also. And I know we're not trying to complain about the new 52 and all that, but it's nice to see this uniform on Superman. It's it's great. Um, What I find interesting, though, later on in the page is that there's no – when they're watching the video of of John and Wally getting sucked into the lantern, there's no mention of the tangent flash as they're reviewing that video. Yeah, in fact, she doesn't seem to really be in the image. Right. You know, maybe she got sucked in prior to the video starting to record, or maybe Batman just didn't rewind all the way. <laughs> but yeah. I, I actually got to wondering, she's made of light, right? Yes. Can she hide herself from cameras? Is she that, used to doing that because of the Superman's surveillance on her world? That and could be it. Is, is any of this important, or am I that, just no prizing here? That I, I expect it might be important. You know, I, like I said, I haven't read all the way to the end of this, so I'm picking this up issue by issue as we're going on. But that could be one of the ways that she's been able to uh, keep herself from some of the detection methods by, you know, if she's made of light, she could possibly bend light around her so mm-hmm. to make herself somewhat invisible. And, I, you know, now thinking back to what we mentioned, I think, in a couple of previous episodes – we mentioned how Leah hasn't aged all that much in the 10 years since, since the first run of tangent books. Right. Uh, maybe because she's made of light, mm. she, possibly she's just masking her aging or perhaps she doesn't have to age in the same way that she, that the rest of the characters do. That's a you really know, good point. Again, again, another no prize explanation, but hmm. there you go. Um, Let's see, page four, we get the splash page where all the characters are around. I, again, I'm going to give credit to Jamal Eichel's art. Yes. The rain dripping off all the characters, uh, uh, the, the look of the characters, and especially with like Leah, the rain sort of hitting her light and her sparkling around that. Yeah. Uh, the look on Wally's costume, and even the Joker in the background with the, her uh, rain-soaked hair. It's just really, really impressive artwork here by Eichel. I, I, I can't compliment it enough. No. I mean, just 
yeah, I have no words either to, to compliment how, how good it is. I mean, it's just there's, – there's detail, but it's not like the distracting, unnecessary Jim Lee – not to bash Jim Lee, but Jim Lee style of, of you know, overly detailed figures and it's just really good. Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of modern comics where there's a, they try and put so much stuff in that it gets almost annoying to have to look at it. This is detailed with with not having a lot of – it's kind of hard to explain. There's a lot of detail in it, but there's not a lot of minutia in it, if that right. makes any sense. And you know, going back to the previous conversation from the last page, if you look here on page, what is this, page four? Yeah. If you look at the Joker's hair, it's all matted and it's wet and you know matted down to her head. But Leah's hair is still fluffy and bouncy, mm-hmm. which shouldn't be if it's pouring down rain. So maybe you're right in that her entire image is just generated by her powers yeah that now that you mentioned that i didn't even take that into consideration because yeah you you could tell with john and uh, wally since there john's got his aura up and wally's got his hood on or his face mask on that his hair you're not going to be able to see his hair and of course the tangent lantern has got the cloak on but yeah maybe leah's hair is just a projection of her power and it's you know, we don't exactly know what she looks like. This is just sort of an image that she produces with the light energy that emanates from her body because mm-hmm. the whole thing and being in space. And because too, in one of the original issues, remember she was turning herself into like a monkey and a teddy bear and a giant version of herself. And yes, the missile. That's that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. something to keep in mind as we go forward. Okay. Um. I don't have any notes until page six. That's where I'm at as well. Okay. Uh, page six, you know, we get the uh, interaction with the back at the detention center with the Manhunter inspector fighting with Obsidian Jade and the Firestorm Troopers. I'm glad that Eichel toned down the violence a bit. Yes. They're still, they're still, Manhunter is still kicking ass and taking names, but it's not. <laughs> it's not slicing someone's head and having a geyser of blood flow right. off of it. Um, and, and again, it's it's like you said, there's a lot of detail in the art, but it's not so distracting that you're taken away from the action of the scene. Mm-hmm. And the writing surprised me as well. Uh, when we got the cliffhanger last issue, I assumed it was one of those kind of faulty cliffhangers since before Jade and Obsidian, um, as we saw in the original issue, seemed to kind of be on the side of the righteous or at least towing the line but here they seem to have fully gone over to superman's side so mm-hmm. kudos to dan jurgens for keeping us on our toes yes uh let's see after that i my next note is on page nine and unfortunately um, sorry. do you have anything before that yeah on page eight i think it would be easy to dismiss the characterizations of of john and wally as you know just what's needed to serve the plot but when you think about it it really makes sense because wally's always been a little more rash maybe not as as much as we see here but certainly more than john who is ex-military and and uh, at this point was still really racked by guilt from destroying uh Zanchi? yes yes so i, I like that they're kind of um you know just just the way they're acting john is is being very cautious wanting more information where wally just wants to rush into action Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I like it also because it's kind of flipping the script on that the Hal the classic Hal Barry pa- pairing, where Hal was the hothead and Barry was the more rational thinker. 
Yeah, that's a good catch there. Yeah, well, but but that's the character of John. John also yes. has a few years over Wally. You would think John would probably be in his mid to late thirties, while Wally would be somewhere in his twenties. Mm-hmm. So you've got you've got the the experience of John coming over uh, Wally here. Yeah. Um, and, and the heck of it is, they both have good points. I mean, Wally's right because what's he say? quote, despots bent on world domination is our business, but yet John's right too in that they don't know the full story. You know, you and I know that Leah's telling the truth or, or at least as far as we know and can judge from her previous appearances, but they just met her and don't know anything about her or this world. So there's just lots of layers and, and really good storytelling and characterization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, it's easy to comment on the art because that's the first thing that hits your eye. But the story is really good here, and you know we, right. we don't give enough credit to Dan Jurgens writing this this epic tale of two universes coming together, one of which that he's pretty much been the head of ever since it uh, started out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really have many uh, comments on Hex dealing with Lori Lamaros. I mean, it's Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say it's nice that you know I, I I kind of mentioned that it looked like he was going into a unisex bathroom, but perhaps since this is being viewed from Lori's point of view, maybe Hex is still in the form of that uh, teacher from the last issue, and he's just, just you know everyone else who's seeing him around them is seeing Hex as the the sort of African American female teacher. Mm-hmm. That, that's probably right. That. Lori is seeing Hex, but the other people around are seeing yeah. the, the teacher, because otherwise I think they would be reacting to the fact that she's being dragged through the halls by a by a, a, a white man with, with weird hair. So Yeah. So yeah, a, re- a reject from a 90s comic. <laughs> uh, I, do like the, I do like, like I said earlier, though, that they're weaving in these other story threads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, this isn't just... Uh, the, there's a lot of things going on here, so there's... Mm-hmm. There's a lot of irons being put in this fire. Uh, page 10, we get more uh, really action-heavy but readable art from Eigel. And we really haven't talked too much about it, but we got to give a lot of credit to Dom Reagan, who has really done a good job with the colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will admit, you know, uh, especially looking at the uh, – the the one panel where uh, Lee is coming in to zap the two dragons, mm-hmm. S- some nice coloring in there. The, there's, there's a real texture to the to the dragons. Yeah, the the different sh- and it's probably it, it, it's specifically I've got to assume it's specifically the sort of computerized coloring. But coming from the era that I'm most accompanied by, computerized coloring wasn't this good. This is really nice. There's a bit of modeling. That gives a sort of scaly mm-hmm. texture to the dragon. It's, it's really nice here. Um, my next notes on the next page. I guess that's page eleven, okay. and it's a, it's again commenting about uh, Eigel's work on the characters' faces. That final panel there, where you see the Joker screaming at John Stewart, to yes. saying that you know she's you you get this expression of frustration and and determination in this and Eigel sells it with his artwork mm-hmm. here i mean like I, like i said i haven't seen expressive artwork like this since like kevin mcguire doing stuff like that so it's i really can't say enough about Eigel's artwork in this book right uh page 12 i really liked john's inner conflict it was really well written and well illustrated and it, it just makes so much sense with the character. Like I said earlier, it's just a really nice moment. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, John has always been sort of the introspective one, the one who's who wants to know what he's doing. You know, Hal, Hal and Guy are sort of the hotheads. And <laughs> can you imagine Guy? I, I know you're a fan of Guy Gardner, but can you yeah. imagine Guy Gardner as he was being depicted in 2008 being in the story instead of instead of John? Oh, it would have been Guy Gardner would have get t- would have gotten taken out by Superman within five seconds of him arriving in the Tangi universe. But I think I think having John here as the intros- introspective one actually works a lot. You know, as much as I love Guy Gardner, Guy sometimes even more than Hal doesn't think about what he's doing no. before he does it. So yeah, having John here gives a lot more drama to the scene, but also gives a lot more uh, the the idea of he's going to take it seriously. Um. Again, the next page, you know, Superman appears and takes out John pretty handily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then after that, the next page, I guess that's page fourteen. Is it? Uh, yes. We get we get uh, the tangent Superman essentially just snuffing out the Joker, and it's again, Eichel is able to do this sort of dark. Uh, grim type thing going on in the book, and not make it hyper violent. She just sort of disappears and her body turns to ash. Mm-hmm. Well, she and was a the, ghost. So yeah. I wondered if that was actually her her body per se anyway. Yeah, well, and that's but. that's the thing about the, the Tangent Lander. Does it reanimate the body? Is it just a sort of spectral energy or whatever it is? But it's, it's a neat image here where yes. her, whatever is inside of her uniform disappears and her mask and uh, costume just fall to the floor. Mm-hmm. And her, her skull is still bouncing around the floor but <laughs> oh oh god okay well maybe it was a bit more dark than i thought it was. <laughs> okay yeah yikes i wish i had more to say about these final pages beyond you know stuff just got real but i mm-hmm. unfortunately don't and, and that's not a bad thing necessarily it, it you know it, it it definitely leaves us in a different place and provides something of a cliffhanger yeah, the the only real thing I have to say is you know the the final page of the story where you get Hal there on the ring and uh, man, Eagle draws him as just Captain, like I said, Captain Smug. Yeah, I mean it's not bad because that's how in this era of the comics you think of Hal. Hal's the one I know how to handle this and I'm going to handle it my way and it it works out well but it's it's another it's not quite as big a cliffhanger ending as this is the other one but it lets you know that the story is progressing and the the current dc earth one heroes are going to find out what's going on right but if you want that leads us into the history lesson part of the book and uh this one was written by ron mars uh it had art or pencils by fernando prasarin uh let, let's see inked by it was inked by matt benning colored by dom reagan lettered by steve wands and edited by nachi castro as guy gardner is driven further into jenny lynn hayden's dark tunnel not a euphemism jenny asks him to tell her all she knows about nightwing Need to stop that. Guy relates its origins with President Kennedy, who formed it to police superhumans, and then its repurposing by Marcus Moore and the members of the Black Circle. He tells of the Night Force, the special ops group that would handle situations too delicate for the Firestorm Troopers or too tough for the field agents. He also mentions Nightwing's opposing force, Meridian, and their special operatives, Obsidian and Jade, as well as how they unleash the ultra-humanite onto the world causing the global cataclysm. However, Superman was able to put a stop to that, but whether that was for good or ill is still up for a debate. As Guy finishes his story, the car rolls to a stop, 
and the two exit into a sparse, well-lit hangar. And, you know, there's not much to talk about yep. in this one. There, it's, it's more recap. It's more history lesson. You get, a, you get the... You get a nice kind of splash of Superman and the Ultra Humanite fighting. It's a really epic splash of them yes. fighting. And again, yo, know, credits to uh, colorist. Was it Regan again? No, yes. uh, yeah, it's Dom Regan. Mm-hmm. Just uh, selling the color here. Uh, you get the, the energy coming off both uh, the Ultra Humanite and Superman are just amazing. And then, you know, there's a lot of homage to Kirby, especially in that yeah. panel at the bottom there. There's a lot of Kirby crackle going around the Superman's head as he angrily yells at the uh, Ultra Humanite. But yeah, it's it, it's nothing earth-shattering. The only real re- revelation is that Superman was able to defeat the Ultra Humanite. You don't know specifically what happened prior to that or after that, but I'm certain we'll get more of that as we go along in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I- even though there's not much to say about it, I'm happy to have it. And it's interesting that we've had three chapters of this now, and not you know not to spoil the next episode, but with the history lesson next episode, they start moving into kind of what happened after the books we read. But we've had three chapters of this now, essentially 15 pages, and they've distilled 18 issues into that. And it's been very succinct, and it's just been interesting to read You know the the history of that in such a succinct amount of space. Yeah, and it's it's really good that Ron Mars is able to encapsulate all this and 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 break it down and give the most pertinent facts, but not make it feel like uh it's it's skimming over stuff. You right. get a lot of information yes. in there without specifically having to have the entire knowledge of the past 18 books. Yes. Yeah, uh, Ron Morris is doing a good job writing and, and and the artwork, you know, the artwork in there by um uh Fernando Persaro is 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 just excellent as well. So, it's nice to have these in the book and like you said in previous episodes, it's nice that we don't have to have this intertwined within the main story because I think that specifically would have st- slowed the main story down have. yeah she has to keep stopping to recap mm-hmm. who these characters are and it would just yeah so this is this is a way that we could have you know the story proper and then the backup for if we don't know what's going on and so far the backups have pretty much dovetailed really well with the uh, events going on in the story you know what the characters and events that happen in the story are related to the characters and events that happened in the backup that are dealing with the tangent universe prior to this. So it all works out really well. On page four, the line about the Doom Patrol and how they were the cataclysm they came back to prevent, which apparently was the rise of the ultra-humanite and not the stuff that went down in their own book, isn't really helping the wibbly-blobbly, timey-wimey-induced headache that we got from that issue. Yeah, yeah, the... Yeah, that again, the Doom Patrol issue was one of those ones where if you think about it too much, <laughs> it does it does give you an aneurysm. So it's just better off to go, "Oh, uh comics and leave it with that." Yes. But that's it for you got anything else? No, I I'm I'm good. There? No, I I'm done with this. This was a, another good issue, another good backup, and I'm looking forward to what's coming up next. All right. Well, next episode we'll be moving on to episode or 
Next episode, we'll be moving on to issue four of the series, and we're also going to talk a little bit about the Convergence books that came out, mm-hmm. uh, which came out about a month ago by the time you're hearing this, but we'll give a little bit of a non-spoilery recap of those. So uh, come back. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at tangent at greatcrypton.com. Or like Sean said earlier, you can leave comments on the website or hit us up on Facebook. Yep. But until next time, see ya. Bye, everyone. just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review. Maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of two true freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the two true freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. Special thanks to the irredeemable Shag for this episode's intro. Shag is the mastermind behind Firestorm Fan, a blog for all things about DC Comics' nuclear-powered hero, and is also co-host of the Fire & Water podcast and the Who's Who podcast. Find the blog, both podcasts, and a whole lot more from Shag at firestormfan.com.